0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Sugar Coated. I am thrilled to introduce my next guest to you all. Her name is Henley Vasquez, and she is with Fora Travel. She is a co-founder of this incredible travel business that has revolutionized uh, the travel industry. Welcome to Sugar Coated Henley.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here. I am so
0: excited for you to be here today, too. And this is the second time that we're doing something that is similar to this. You were so kind to come into my uh, class at NYU and speak to all of the students. And they were just blown away by your story and your enthusiasm and and all the lessons, really, that you had to share. So just, you know, thank you again for coming in and sharing your story. And this podcast is all about women entrepreneurs, women leaders, and having conversations that are not sugar-coated. So I would love for you to just give everybody a little bit of a background on, you know, who you are and how you came to be the co-founder of Fora.
1: Yeah. um, Well, first of all, thank you for having me in your class. Those students blew me away. They were just they were so thoughtful. They had so many smart questions. And for people who were learning about entrepreneurism, um, but not necessarily familiar with the travel industry, the way that they thought about it and, and sort of questioned different parts of it was mind blowing. So that was such a treat for me to get to be there and chat with them. And yeah, for me, I, I've barely spent my whole career in the travel industry. I started off as an editorial assistant at a travel magazine, town and country travel way back in the day, where I did really complicated tasks like delivering mail or carrying papers from one editor's desk to another, you know, that kind of stuff, big thinking tasks. And from there, I actually moved into onla- the online space. So my editor left and started Indigari, which was initially sort of a membership focused uh content machine so online website focused on high-end travel but you could only read the content if you were a member so this was a thing back in the day that nobody had done yet and what we found very quickly is that our members weren't so much interested in reading our content as much as it was wonderful about where to stay in paris they actually wanted to get on the phone with us talk to an editor and find out really how to plan their trip and actually have that editor book it for them. And that was really my segue into the travel agency world. We built a whole bookings department around this and built and planning amazing trips for our members. Was there for about seven years, then left to launch my own travel agency, which was called Passported. Very small company, but I was really proud of what I did with a, you know, sort of bootstrapping it, figuring it out on my own. Did that really up until the pandemic. Now, the pandemic changed things for all of us, but particularly for those of us in hospitality when suddenly everything that we spent our days thinking about airplanes and hotels and different countries went away. Mm-hmm. Kept plugging away at it, but came out of the pandemic thinking it's time to do this a little bit differently. And that was really the genesis of For Us. So, I loved my career. I loved my job, but I also saw a lot of opportunities there to include more people in this industry. It's a busy time in travel as people are getting back on the road. And I started to look at, well, so Passport, it was a very small company. It was really just me and three employees. How do I actually build something that would give more people the opportunity to do the same job as me, but scale it up with tech tooling and support for, for training and get more folks into the world of travel?
0: I love it. And that is something that actually the class and I had a rich discussion after you left about this ability for people to almost have a business with the the backing of another business. And we talked a, a little bit about the different models of other businesses that are similar to that. And I think that Fora provides such a great opportunity For people who are interested in in travel, but they, you know, they don't necessarily want to, you know, have their own travel agency or something like that. It really gives them everything that they need to have a business, but not necessarily worry about all the other aspects of of business. So we just, you know, we love that so much. I know that. It's so popular that the waiting list in order to become a FOR advisor is thousands of people long.
1: Yes. um, So the waitlist is long, but there are ways to get around it. If you join one of our AMAs that we run where there actually are code words that can bump you up to the top of the list. So be sure to take a look at ForaTravel.com and look at upcoming events because there are ways for you to join different trainings and and jump to the top of the waitlist. But yeah, we are really careful about who we bring on. This is something where... We want people who want to do the work and it is a job. It is not about taking a cute picture of yourself on vacation and suddenly making money off of it. This is really digging in to the, the sort of the work that is planning travel for people, but it is a fun job. And that is something where again, running your own small business, that is not always fun. There's a lot that goes into it. So what we did with four is try to peel off the parts that were really difficult for me when I was indeed running my own small business. What took up a lot of my time that took away from my ability to focus really on, on selling travel, on planning more trips, planning better trips, attracting more clients. It was commissions collection. It was marketing materials. It was content creation. That's the kind of stuff that can be a lot of effort and a lot of time for someone trying to get their business up and running. We give them the tools and the support to do that so they can really focus mostly on how do I get a new client? How do I plan them amazing vacation so that they want to refer their friends? Being an entrepreneur is not easy work. We want to make it a little bit better.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. And do you find that the majority of the
1: travel advisors are female? Yeah, so it is a very sort of female forward industry. I think it is one of the few places where in particular women who have had other careers or women who have taken time off from work to stay home with their children can re-enter the workforce without a penalty, which is, is unusual really in society these days. So if you are a mom and you've had little kids at home and now they're going into school and you're trying to segue back into your lawyer job, that might be really challenging. If you have spent that time, built your personal network, and want to become a travel advisor because you love trips and you're the kind of person that people are always asking for advice anyways, you're actually rewarded in this industry. Now, we are not a female-only environment. Obviously, we have lots of great men that are part of our advisor community, but it is the kind of place where there certainly isn't, there's no penalty for being, being a woman and no penalty for being a mother
0: yeah I love that, and especially in light of the the whole you know great resignation and people realizing that the corporate environment corporate environment may not be for them because it doesn't accommodate their lives I, I think that this could be such a wonderful opportunity for people. I mean, you definitely need to love travel um I mean. I love travel. <laughs> you know, I so many of my, you know, friends, we it's it's something that we like to spend our money on, the experiences, right? You cannot get that y- y- you expand your mind so much and I think you expand who you are so much through traveling and i think that that's what the appeal is so it's not just it's not just a hotel room or you know a resort that you go to it's the experience that that all of that provides and i think the people that probably do really well are the ones that are incredibly passionate about that and sharing that aspect of it too with With others.
1: Yeah, so passionate, opinionated, sort of hardworking, those are all the things that make somebody good at this. But I should say that we have in our advisor community people from across the board. So everyone from someone who is doing this full time, this is what they do and this is how they make their primary income to people who are very much in the corporate environment but love to have really meaningful flexible work on the side planning trips one of our most successful advisors he is a banker in he does this on the side and plans incredible trips and it gives him meaning and fun and an identity that is separate from his job which he also by the way loves and is excellent at so we really mm. welcome people at whatever phase they're at in their career we see people shifting from their full-time jobs in a more traditional manner over to this and then we see those who like to balance it and i think you're right, the great resignation has changed how we think about work and how we think about our careers. So we love having people in the community that are anywhere along the lines from just getting started, living a sort of more freelance lifestyle to thinking about a whole second career after retiring from a first one. This is awesome.
0: So I want to take a a little bit of a turn and kind of go back to the business aspect and you specifically. So, you know, you are an entrepreneur, you had your own business, it was really an evolution of everything that you you did. And then you created this business that you loved. Was it truly the the pandemic that made you rethink or could you have restarted the the business that you had post pandemic? Because there there's there was opportunity to do that as well.
1: Yeah, no, totally. I, I could have, um, and was definitely on, you know, targeting to do that. But I think what the pandemic I just say, I hate when people say like, oh, the silver lining of the pandemic because the pandemic was a terrible, terrible. time. And like yeah. people suffered greatly. There was loss of income, loss of lives. It was a horrible thing. But yeah. the one thing that it did for me is it it gave me a real pause. So I was so busy building my business that mm. this was a time where suddenly I, I couldn't actually do my job anymore. And I had to sit back and think about what do I like mm. and what do I want to do next? And it's hard to do that. Most of us, particularly if you're an ambitious person, you're kind of on that that road to what you see as success and you don't have a lot of time to reconsider that. So when everything stopped, I had to think about what do I like about this? And what do I like? What do I like? I love the people that I work with. I love the industry that I'm in. I love travel. What do I not like about this? Well, I say no to a lot of people who ask to do this job with me because I just can't afford to bring them on. I say no to people who want to do this part time because that's not the way the industry works. I say no to evolving in other ways because that would require technology and that's not something that I have. So I really thought about the things that I was saying no to, but that I wanted to say yes to. And that was really the start of this business is how do we bring those parts into it? Because I wanted to keep the parts that I was doing and that I liked, but I wanted to expand it as well. Then I think without that forced pause, I'm not sure that I would have had time to really sit back and and frankly my co-founders as well I don't you know they were so busy with what they were doing not sure we would have connected so I won't call it a silver lining but I will call it a uh lucky happening.
0: Yeah. So this is so interesting and and I you know the pandemic forced you to take that step back and I think it forced a lot of people to take that step back and you know not everybody started something new so i really admire the fact that that you took that on i do think that there's a real great lesson there especially us as women growing businesses and we are on a hamster wheel trying we we so many of us are just trying to do everything and you know a friend of mine calls it the power pause right like to take that time to really get away and, and think about, I love how you empowered yourself to say, what do I like, right? What, what do I love? And then what doesn't work? And then out of that came something, but knowing what you like and love and knowing what you don't, that does force you in a way to find other people that like to do the things that you don't like to so, you know, I'm sure that your partners didn't magically fall out of the sky. <laughs> or maybe they did. Yeah, um, so yeah. how, maybe they did. So how did how did you kind of think to yourself? Because I'm I'm asking these questions just so that the audience can learn from you, you know, so y- you were able to say, you know, I like this, I don't like that. How did you say to yourself, okay, let me go about the business of finding people who mesh with me that we can do something together? What was that process like?
1: Well, I should start it by saying, I think having the right co-founders is the key to having a successful business and happy life. This is truly the person or the people that will be building your, everything that you do on a daily basis around you. It should be someone that you, have a lot in common with, but also someone you can disagree with and find ways to work together. Think about it. It's kind of like a marriage in a lot of ways because this is your family that you're building together is your business. So finding people who compliment you, who are good at the things that you're not good at, being willing to admit the things that you're not good at so that you can connect with those folks is essential. And I was really lucky with mine. So my co-founder, Evan, he and I had known each other between when, since our kids who are now in seventh grade were in first grade together, he had been in travel, but had also built and scaled big businesses. He was the co-founder of One Fine Stay, which if you're familiar with that, sort of was a house as house a hotel concept that came out of London. So mm-hmm. he really knew how to build a much bigger business than I'd done before. We would talked about working together lots of times and never quite found the right opportunity. And this was the moment where it kind of worked. Our third Mm -hmm. co-founder, Jake Peters, came out of tech. So he was closing down his fintech business at the time, but he had been in travel sort of tangentially. He'd worked for an air taxi company, but all on the technology side. And he and Evan had known each other from their time in London together. Mm -hmm. So we had just a really sort of lucky moment of the three of us all winding down businesses we'd been a part of, looking for something new and having a really complimentary set. So somebody who's great at tech, someone who's really great at building businesses and then me coming from the agency side and having spent my whole career doing that. And it's just been such a joy to work with them and see where this is all gone. And, you know, you need all three of those, of those stands to keep this upright.
0: Yeah. And, you know, how does that conversation go? And I know that it, it was over time and everything, but what is that point where you say, okay, let's do this, right? Like, are we really going to do this? Let's do this. What does that look like?
1: Yeah. So Evan and I, we had already been talking for years. What could we do together? So that was easy. We had had things where he said, what about, what if this? And they'd say, no, 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 that's not it. So when we sort of lit into the idea, which was, he said to me, and this was as people were starting to like go back to work, be in person, travel again. And he said, you know, I know so many really smart, interesting women. Why are they not all doing your job? They love to travel. They know a lot. Why aren't they doing your job? And I said, mm. well, here's all the reasons. And so he and I were kind of already on that path. Now, finding the third person was different. And we Jake was not the first one that we met. We did talk to people. And we both agreed that if unless you're pounding the table about a co-founder, it's enough. And so we mm. met other people who were wonderful, but just not the right fit. The minute that I met Jake, and again, Evan already knew him. We didn't know if he would jump to do this because he had a fintech company. He was in the process of winding that down, but we didn't know if he would jump into travel. It's like a weird yeah. little world. But um, from the moment that we connected, I realized, yes, this person has big ideas. They're very smart. But also we just clicked, mm-hmm. you know, we got along really well. And I think that chemistry and a co-founder is really important. So it is some of it is that it was already underway and some of it was really searching for that right fit.
0: Mm, I think these are such great lessons, too. And also sort of knowing what your strengths are and being able to talk about that and not, not over-promising, right? And saying, this is what I'm good at. This is what, you know, this other person is good at. How can we all come together? Yeah. And
1: so I would say just because someone wants to do a business with you doesn't mean that it's the right thing because it can be really scary to take that leap to start a company and I have seen people jump into that with a co-founder who maybe it just seems like, well, they've got the right skill set and it's okay, they want to do this. And they're willing to kind of like take that plunge with me. No, it needs yeah. to be more than that.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's a great lesson too. And it's funny because one of the students in in this class, you know, we wrapped up the class and I have people do a reflection paper at the end and through the process of sort of building a pitch deck, which is our what our final project is, one of the reflections that came back was like, I, I love the people that are in the group with me, but I would never go into business with them. And so I think it's really interesting because they did, you know, from the outside, they all got along so well and they they did great on their final presentation and all of that kind of stuff. And when I read that reflection, I was like, hmm, that's so interesting because, you know, it, it seemed like everything was great, but there were certain nuances I think that you're able to pick up on. It's almost like a gut a gut feeling as well. You know, no, this is not someone I want to be in business with. And I, I think that that's something that women especially, and I, I say a lot of sweeping statements only because I talk to so many women, but I think, you know, when we fall into the trap of people pleasing, which I know that I I talk from my own personal point of view, I wanna make everybody happy. So when someone comes to me with, you know, an idea, let's partner, let's do this. You know, my first reaction is like, yes, like, let's do it. And then it's sort of like, oh, should I have said yes to this? Because there are certain things that I'm seeing that I don't necessarily feel comfortable with. How do you sort of know what those things are? How can you because it's not just question and answer, right? It's it's something else, How do you go about discerning whether this person is a good co-founder for you or not, like if that fit is there?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think that's incredibly difficult and people make missteps all the time. And, you know, we've all done it. We've all worked with someone who wasn't a good fit for us. That doesn't mean that's a bad person um, or that you're a bad person. It just means you don't fit professionally speaking. Finding a co-founder, I don't know. I wish there were a recipe that made it easy. There isn't. But I think being really, having really like difficult, honest conversations, being able to disagree and, and listen to each other and come back from that and still be able to make decisions. I do think having more than one is really nice. I, you know, we are three co-founders. Sometimes two of us think one thing and one thinks the other. And, and that's nice. It's not just one against the other, but something we did really early on is we actually brought in a professional coach that Evan had worked with And we had a day where we talked really about a lot of personal stuff. We sort of business as well as our lives. We shared things that the other ones wouldn't have known about us. It was sort of it was difficult things to talk about, but really good to get to know each other on a different level. And I think that helps build empathy because remember, this is a business, but also people's lives do affect what's going on at work. Sometimes you have to understand the way they may be talking or the way they may react to something has nothing to do with you and maybe something that happened to them that morning at home. So really trying to get to know each other on a deeper level. Now, that is probably not something that everybody would think of doing before they jump into a business together, but... I think you're right. Women do tend to people, please. I hate conflict. I do not like to argue with people at all ever. I'm always trying to look for a solution that's going to not include any kind of conflict. Uh, So to get that all out up front is a a way to get you on a more, I think, positive path towards success. I will also say they don't all work out. I'm super lucky that this is going so well and that I'm happy to have these co-founders. I think, whether it's in terms of hiring or firing employees or separating, going different ways from, uh, you know, from somebody who would have been a co-founder, this is the sooner that you get to know. And people say this is a lot about fundraising fundraising. If you're going to have a no, the faster you get to know, the better, because otherwise you're just wasting your time. And I think that is in terms of managing employees and finding a co-founder. If it's a no, it's a no. Didn't work out. Move on. Yeah,
0: I I really like the fact that you brought in this, you know, third party neutral, you know, mediator, if you will, to sort of get everybody to put it out all on the table because you probably wouldn't have done that on your own. So I, I do think that that is a really great tip and something that you don't hear about. And I think that when it comes to entrepreneurship, you know, I always say like you bring yourself to your business. So you better damn well know, you know, what your trigger points are, what your what you're good at, what you're terrible at, what you procrastinate on. I do a, a lot of talking to entrepreneurs to get them to almost admit what they feel like some of their faults are because they're not necessarily faults, it's more information. So if you're like a total procrastinator, right, you're a big idea person, but total procrastinator, you can't execute for whatever, you know, something happened, trauma in your life, that's okay. At least recognize it and then get someone to help you through that procrastination period. So I just, I really like that as, as a success factor, especially when it comes to Having co-founders when you when you're in business on your own, it's so good to, you know, reflect about yourself and recognize these things. But I think it's even more critical when you have the the co-founders. So yeah. I, I love that tip. Yeah, and I think when you're in business on your
1: own, and this is why I I so much wanted to start something with with co-founders is when you're in business on your own, it can be a bit of an echo chamber. Like yeah. The thoughts that you have in your head are like, nobody's there to tell you you're wrong or you're doing that not the right way. So it is really nice to have others that can bounce ideas off of you and tell you when they're good and when they're not so great.
0: Yeah. I think things that we don't talk about, like finding co-founders and everything, because it's... Women tend to start businesses out of, you know, I'm really good at this. So then they either start coaching business or they they start a marketing consulting business or something like that. And it is a very individualized type of business. And I think that in order to scale and in order to have some peace of mind, it is really great to have a co-founder, it's just that, like we're talking about, you need to find the right one. So your business it, having technology, having all of these marketing materials, all of these tools and everything, this is something that I gather that you didn't just you know start from the basement. you had to have some type of funding behind you in order to launch this into the marketplace. So can you talk a little bit about that process? Yeah.
1: And yes, no tech does not come cheap. And we are not, you know, a few 20 year old coders sitting in a basement somewhere inventing the next Google. We're building a business that is for people. So technology is a big part of it. But we also need to think about how humans are integrating with this technology so that they can use tools to build their own travel planning business. So really, we're starting a business to help others start a business different kind of thing than just a straight sort of SaaS platform. And yeah, we needed money to do that. So we... Luckily, did well with our fundraising. We raised our seed round in summer 2021 with $5 million. And then we did our Series A about a year later with $13.5 million. These are big numbers to big me, numbers. <laughs> like yeah. more yeah. than I ever could have imagined in terms of dollar bills. But yeah, tech goes fast. So we, even with all of the money that we have raised, we are very careful about how we spend it, where we spend it, and that we focus on the right kind of tooling that helps our advisors. So I, I think evaluate what money you need to start your business. Some some businesses don't need money. Don't feel like you have to go out and raise VC cash just because you're starting a business. I think the society, our society has sort of talked about the success of the entrepreneur and this kind of Silicon Valley, like, yeah, I big money and this is going to make me successful. It's not. And it's also like, it's really hard to do. Luckily, I was raising with people who had successfully done this before, so they knew how to navigate the process. I did it. That wasn't my law where I came from, I built a bootstrapped business that didn't require cash. But just because it's out there, don't think it's just there to like spend. And that is one of the things we we have grown very quickly, but we've grown in a capital efficient way. We know that we have that money. We also know that the markets are wonky and you never know when your next round of funding is coming. So even when you are successful with a raise, listen to your board members, listen to your investors, listen to your instincts. Do not go out and blow a bunch of cash on, even with technology, what are you going to use it for? So one of the things when we started was really focused on the front-end website. We're going to make this beautiful website. It's going to be an amazing experience, how to find your next advisor. What we realized really quickly was this is not actually about the consumer at the moment. What we need to do is build tools for the advisors. The website's okay. we got a long way to go. If you go on there right now, it's a nice looking website with a not perfect way to find the person to plan your trip. We are working on that. But what we've spent the last year and a half spending our money on is how to build the right tools for those advisors that are already on there, how to have a platform that they can log into in the back end, how they can have a chat app to connect with their community. All of that that's not like the exciting, sexy out there stuff is where we have spent our money because we've been really careful about it. And that's true whether you've raised you know, a hundred dollars or a hundred million dollars. This is always, there is an end to money when you are talking about technology because it is expensive. So we were very successful early on. um, And so far in our short lifespan as a company in terms of raising money, but we have always been really cognizant that we want to spend it carefully. These are other people's dollars that they've given to us. How are we going to give them value back and give value to our community while we're at it? So this is
0: so important because the majority of women don't raise money, right? So venture capital financing goes to less than, you know, 2% of, of women founders. In that process, was there anything that you, you know, saw, learn, heard that you think you could sort of give advice to women who, who do have businesses that need to raise money? was there? Because, you know, you you are one of the few that have gone through that process and successfully raised money. Hold back the curtain and tell us what's there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, finding an investor who truly understands your business matters. All money is not created equal. And we did talk to different funds um, who were all lovely and encouraging. The one that we went with and that was ready to jump in and support us, because it's not like people were just all ready to fund us. The one that was the fit for us was the one that also understood our business. And and travel, I think a lot of people may find this, whatever world you're in, it may not be the kind of business that people want to invest in. And travel and travel agencies is definitely not a world that a lot of venture capitalists have any interest in funding. Yeah. Ours understood it they had been in travel before, they had seen the the cracks in the industry and where there was room to, to sort of renovate that house. And they were willing to fund it, but also willing to give us the space to figure it out some on our own. So I don't know that there's a key to raising money as a woman or as an entrepreneur at all. I do know that the key to successfully working with a venture capitalist, and this is probably something that click is also going to be what makes them excited to fund you is finding somebody who really understands that industry and the business that you're building and trusts you to do it. I mm-hmm. also think that co-founding with somebody who has raised money before makes a big difference. And people will say, "Uh, oh, she had to go and, you know, co-found with a man. Women don't get funding." You know, it's not that he's a man, it's that he knows how to raise money. He's done it before and he's proven that he's had a good outcome from that. That he didn't just yeah. blow people's money. So Man, woman, whatever, you can remove gender from that and just say co-founding with somebody. If you have not been the person that's raised money before, doing your business with somebody who has and knows how to navigate that process makes a massive difference.
0: And how has the people that have invested in your company, how have they integrated themselves into your business? And do they provide you know advice? Has Has anybody given you advice or required you to do something that you you know, didn't necessarily want to do, but felt compelled to because they gave you money?
1: I think something that I learned early on is they're not your bosses, they're your investors. So they may be on your board and you do have to listen to their advice, but they're not your boss. Mm. That said, they have pushed us on things and they've been right. So our growth mm-hmm. has been fast and something they said to us end of last year and early this year is like, why aren't you, why aren't you doing more marketing? Why aren't you pushing harder? And we kind of went, I don't know, because we don't want to spend more money or we're worried that our support system will break. Or, And they said, look, if you're spending this much, why not spend this much more and see what happens? So they have mm-hmm. pushed us to grow faster, not for the sake of growing faster, but because they looked and said, you're doing it, do it a little bit more. And that is something where we listened to them and they were right. So I think... Mm-hmm. These are people who have seen more businesses that, than you have. That doesn't mean you do everything they tell you to. You are the expert in your domain. They may say things, and this has happened at times, where they'll say something and we go, I don't think that's really going to work. And that's fine. They listen to us. Um, but knowing and and choosing to work with investors that are experts in your domain and have seen more businesses be successful and unsuccessful, take to heart their advice because they may have good ideas and there's ways to sort of test and push different parts without committing full force to it. Also, our investors, they are clients of our advisors. Some of them have joined as advisors themselves. So they really have sort of put themselves into our shoes and the Mm. shoes of our advisors. So they really understand the nuts and bolts of this business uh, Mm. and the humans that are in it. There's a lot of talk in tech that becomes so focused on the software or on the tools that it forgets that these are people doing these jobs. And that's for any kind of company, even a much more technical one than ours, but we are building technology. We are a tech company at the heart, but it was for making travel advisors having a more successful job. And they really understand that because they're part of that part of that system.
0: Wow, they, they really seem like incredible partners. I, I, I love the fact that, you know, they are putting themselves into the travel advisor's shoes so that they can, you know, see what where are opportunities for improvement? Where are things going really right? And I think that the message about, you know, the fact that these people have been in this industry, they've seen what works. I mean. Everything is different now because of, of the pandemic, but still people who really care, the investors who really care about your business, not just because of the returns that they're going to get, but because they want to see you as the founders to, you know, have a successful long-term business. I think that that is remarkable.
1: Yeah, we have really appreciated it. Um, we understand we're early in this ride, but we're, we're on the roller coaster with the right folks. So what is is sort of next for Fora? there's so much that's next. Um, Our big push right now is we're building a bookings platform that's just going to make it a lot easier for our advisors to go in and sort of execute on their bookings. So a lot of, again, behind the scenes, not the stuff that everybody out there is seeing. We are putting a lot into our front-end website to help make the process for consumers better to go in and really get matched with an advisor who gets you and can help you plan travel. But really continuing to support our community by making their jobs easier as an advisor, look, planning travel is hard. There's a lot of people out there trying to figure out which vacation to take. We want to help people organize and execute on those plans in a better way than exists currently in the industry. So that's really where our focus is at the moment.
0: I love it. Well, Henley, this has been so amazing and I always appreciate your time. I definitely am gonna have you come back and talk to another NYU class because you were were the superstar guest speaker.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They were in New
0: York. it makes it easy so thank you so much again and i am just so thrilled that you are in you know my circle my community and you know i'm very interested in this whole travel advisor role for myself as well mainly because, you know, I, I deal with a lot of different women that are putting on retreats, you know, we're, we're always thinking about going on some type of a vacation. It's sort of the, the stage of life where I am. So many of my personal friends are, are going on these really wonderful vacations. And, you know, people do ask me a lot, where should we go? What hotels are best? All of that kind of stuff. So I'm incredibly interested. And I think that I'm on the list somewhere. So we'll yeah, have to figure that tell out. Me,
1: you <laughs> tell me when you're ready to get started and we will get you started. And yeah, that is exactly it. If you are that go-to person for travel tips in your community, in your network, you're just leaving money on the table by not doing this job. And we <laughs> will send you and yeah, you tell me when you're ready and we'll get you. I know you're a little bit busy with class. A little busy. Podcasts, <laughs> we're, we're here when you're ready to kick it off. Well, thank you so
0: much. It was just wonderful speaking with you today.
1: Thanks so much.
0: Bye. This is the She Leads
1: Podcast Network.